Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of Living on Blockchain. Today we are speaking to Nick Lambert. Uh, Nick is the CEO at Doc. With Doc you can make any document uh, basically tamper proof. Doc Search uh, is an all-in-one suite for uh, verifiable credentials and uh, it helps organizations to issue uh, digital credentials and certificates that are automatically and instantly verifiable. Uh, making it fraud-proof and auditable as well. It was a very interesting conversation because he comes from a vast experience as well. His background in tech has uh, been immersive. And uh, what they are building at DOC is uh, very pertinent, very relevant uh, for this day and age. And I can't wait for you guys uh, to hear more about it. So let's deep dive right in. Hi, Nick. Thank you so much for making the time to speak to us today. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. How are you? I am doing a great, uh, just fighting a bit of a cold, but otherwise uh, everything is splendid. For our listeners, Nick, can you tell us a little about um, how you got into Web3 and what you're building currently? Yeah, my I was actually in Web3 before I actually knew I was in it, which is kind of strange. But um, I think like you were saying when we were speaking just before you started recording, uh, Tarusha, like it, right. you know, it wasn't called Web3 until kind of more recently. Uh, but I was right. working for a, a decentralized storage startup called MadeSafe. And, and it was kind okay. of like a bit torn on steroids. So we created some software that um, everyone could run uh, their computers at home to create this kind of massive um, kind of world network, a little bit like the IPFS and, and Filecoin uh, before, before it existed. And we were trying to understand how can we incentivize people um, having their computers turned on at home so they can join this big network. And we, we looked right. around and we saw obviously Bitcoin was already doing this. Um, so it was obviously um, rewarding miners um, for, for mm. you know, providing um, their hash power to that network. And we thought, well, that's a great idea. We, we should potentially have some kind of token built into this network. Um, and that was in 2013. And, and that's kind of, you know, when you became aware of Bitcoin and you saw the all the um, upsides for it in terms of like cross-border payments and um, you started to think about different ways you could use blockchain, you started to realize the potential. So for me, it was um, probably late 2013 before I really started to take notice. Wow. Okay. Awesome. So you've been around a while and, uh, you know, pretty much uh, very similar journeys I think we've had. I don't know, we started... Uh, when mining was uh, just starting off and kicking off. So what are you building currently with Doc? Yeah, with Doc, we're building. So there's a major problem today uh, that we're probably all, all aware of where it becomes harder to trust the information that we're seeing, whether that's on, in, on a social network or within the news. Um, and the difficulty right. we have there is like, you know, it's very easy to, to fake things, particularly with AI coming along, it's going to become even easier. Um, yeah. And also for, for like for businesses as well, Tarusha, it's very difficult for them to actually verify information. So, for example, if you're a large company looking to employ someone, you have to do a lot of manual checking and verification that they are who they say Absolutely. they are. They've got all the yeah. qualifications they're not kind of lying to you. And so that that that's quite a broken system right now. So what Docker have built is a way to um, verify exactly um, who provided, like, let's say, a degree certificate within the example of the employer that I just gave um, and when it was issued. And then that can all be verified instantly because it's using cryptography to digitally sign these certificates so you know who it was issued and who it was issued to. So really, Docker building a bunch of basically a platform that enables right. um, organizations to issue what we call credentials 
um, to, to individuals and companies, and they can then use that information to prove uh, they've, they've obtained something. Um, so really trying to get away from all the kind of false information that exists and enabling companies to verify information really, really quickly. So you guys are first targeting the niche where, uh, you know, you're getting um, the verification of personal data, uh, you know, done right. And then you'll be moving to other avenues. Is that correct? Yes. And personal data can be, can be anything. So it could be, um, you know, it typically does involve individuals, but then it's mostly used by companies. So we're targeting companies. Um, who are going to be issuing these credentials and then wanting to verify them. So um, the use cases I gave, like a, a university is a really good example because we all go to, you know, we go colleges and universities today. Um, and I was at university a little while ago, I'll not tell you how long, but um, they, you know, there was standard practice then and it still is for some that they issue you with a paper certificate and then you maybe get something in PDF format or you scan it and you send that on. And obviously that's very easy to fake and, and change. Um, and so one of the use cases that, that we see that's a really good way of explaining what we do is that having a university actually issue your credential, your um, degree certificate as a verifiable credential. So that's a digital document that you can control within, let's say, a wallet, uh, maybe on your phone, and only you can control that. And then you can decide to send it on to whoever you like. Um, and so it is about personal information um, and it's about the ability for the individual to control that, which is obviously one of the key key aspects of Web3. Right. Yeah, I think that 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 is a wonderful use case scenario. And especially, as you said, you know, um, post-COVID, I feel like a lot of uh, teams and, you know, are working remotely and you're hiring like globally. And it is a lot of hoops that one has to cross as a firm to verify uh, the veracity. Uh, of you know the the candidates claims and uh, this this seems like a godsend absolutely absolutely yeah we think it's going to be a great use case and it's and it's also nice to give the individual control like that, that's a big part of what like crypto meant to many people it was like now that it's no longer necessarily banks that control your funds um hmm. you, you can control them if you want to now and it's the same now with your your identity which is really the space that Doc is involved in identity and also the credentials. And those credentials can take many forms. So it can be uh, degree certificates and time. It could be your driver's license. Uh, it could be your license to practice medicine. It could be all of these types of things. Right. So what are the kind of, uh, you know, challenges or that you're facing in establishing a platform that is, you know, uh, providing fraud proof, verifiable credentials and instant verification? Because I feel that, you know, the, the time aspect must be a, a bit of a challenge as well. How did you address it? And what are the other challenges that you've come across? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, the challenges that we see is, is trying to, so I think with a lot of us working in this space, decentralization as a concept when you become used to centralized, centralized technology is quite an alien thing to explain and it takes a while for uh, people to get it. Um, so, so that's been a challenge trying to educate people about what decentralized identity is versus like the identities that, that everyone's used to today. So that's been one challenge. I think the other one that we see, Tarusha, is also trying to, if you're working with larger companies, is actually trying to get them to change how they their systems work. So maybe some processes and also maybe integrating different systems. That can be quite right. a slow process for large companies. So, so that's probably one of the kind of challenges that we see. And that's maybe why we've tended to favor 
smaller companies because they're a bit more nimble and they're able to move more quickly. And also trying to work with companies within this Web3 space because you don't need to educate them about the technology. They totally get it and they see the upsides. Um, so, uh, yeah, but those are some of the challenges that we've seen. Right, yeah, I do think that, you know, for larger companies, it's not that they, know, they, they are a little closed off to newer ideas because they have already these existing processes, uh, right? And they feel that uh, if, if a new variable is added to it, the, it, the processes might break. And uh, that, that poses a, like a lot of resistance in incorporating anything new in their existing challenges. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it's understandable as well, but it's, uh, it, yeah. does, it does make things a little bit more slow. Um, and that's why it's important. You really need to hammer home like the business benefit, because I think sometimes our Web3 space is quite guilty of selling it as the fact it's decentralized, like that should mean something or, or, or in itself, it's a benefit. But actually, a lot of people don't really care if it's decentralized or centralized but you need to sell the benefits of why being decentralized is a good thing. And so that's something that, that we need to make sure um, that we tell companies of all the benefits of, of moving to this new way of working. Otherwise, they won't change. Absolutely. I think it's very important that, you know, as stakeholders in the Web3 space, we kind of go out of our way to educate others about what, why uh, and you know the what of a decentralization and how it can benefit them because uh, I, I feel that as entrepreneurs we tend to like talk a lot about the features of what we are building but you know yeah. the benefits somehow we are not uh, we we don't do a very good job of translating that right. because we we it's very clear in our head right like why this is yeah. beneficial but uh, for somebody that is perhaps coming from the web 2 space or somebody who's uh, you know has some old school wisdom and shine uh, within their processes then it becomes a bit of a challenge for them to even see the benefits that's right and as you said like if they're having to adapt to what they're doing they need to be absolutely clear about what the business benefit is and the and the benefit must be i can either make more money and charge more for the service or it costs me less to provide what I provide and therefore I've got more margin. Like those kind of have to be the things that businesses can, can understand uh, because if there's no business benefit, no financial benefit for businesses, the likelihood is they won't change. So I totally agree with yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, I, I think so too. So, you know, just if you had to perhaps give a business like an elevator pitch for the benefits uh, that they would be at the receiving end of if they're using Doc. What, how would you uh, summarize it in like just a line? Oh, a line. That's that's tricky. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think. It, okay. it, yeah, I would say it's the ability to eliminate fraudulent data. Hmm. That, yeah, I think that kind of covers it. Yeah, yeah. because uh, right now you know they're probably. Uh, spending a lot of time and resources, uh, you know, and not just time, perhaps financially also they are, you know, facing losses if they are uh, dealing with any kind of uh, fraudulent data. But that comes later, even initially, just to verify the veracity of the data, they must be spending time. And I feel like time is the biggest currency that businesses have, apart from capital. So, uh, you know, that that is something that you're helping them save as well. Yeah, I mean, some of the things that we see, like even like some of the different things like within the, we've talked a little bit about um, degree certificates and, and academic achievement, like that whole industry of fake degrees is worth billions of dollars hmm. if you start to look into it. It's, it's quite interesting, but lots of people literally buy degrees from universities that really 
they don't really exist and uh, they, right. they then those to get jobs and it, and it does cost you know as an employer you're maybe taking on somebody you think is well educated or, or well educated in a specific field and the reality is that they're not so um yeah the cost the cost impact can be absolutely huge um and so yeah, yeah. fraudulent data is a pretty powerful thing absolutely so tell me a little about your team and uh, you know where you guys uh stand uh, vis-a-vis the product like can anybody go and uh, sign up on your website and become your customer they can so um they can go to certs.doc.io so c e r t s.doc.io and they can we have like free trials and stuff so anyone can sign up so you can sign up as a developer and we have like uh, an api there you can use if you want to integrate with uh, with your own backend system. We've also got a no-code solution. So it's a really nice wow. way for people that are non-technical that they can just go in and they can create okay. their own decentralized identifier or identity as some people would see it. And then they can start to send credentials to themselves, their family, um, the other people within their business to start to experiment to see how it works. Um, and the no-code solution was really a response to uh, when we were speaking to people at the start, um, to Russia and trying to start to commercialize what we'd built. And we found that there were quite a lot of smaller teams that wanted this technology and saw the, the upside yeah. of it and advantages, but they didn't have access to developers. Um, yeah. and it, or it's too expensive to, to bring these guys on board to, to help them. So uh, the no-code solution there exists for, for that purpose. You can also download our, our wallet app. Uh, it's available in both app stores. And so, of course, you can then start to receive these credentials within your, your mobile device um, and start to, to play around with them there. So that would be a great first uh, place for anyone who's interested to go and try dock out. Yeah, okay. So the, that is pretty straightforward. And I'm so glad that you guys have incorporated a no-code solution as well because I feel that that becomes a bit of a, a resistance point for a lot of companies who might not have the technical prowess for smaller teams, basically. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like, and I don't know what you found, uh, Tarisha, in your journey, you were explaining before that we we got going, that you've been involved in, in lots of different startups, you're dealing with developers and things as well. But I feel like right. one of the things that we find is to, for most people, like some people really love getting into the details of how blockchains work and what type of cryptography you're using. But for the most part, yeah. They don't want to know that stuff. They want it to be as easy as possible to build something or start using something. And so what we've really been doing for the last couple of years is abstracting away as much complexity as possible from both developers and from from, from end users just to make the tools as simple as possible to use. And that's, that's the only way that we're going to get adoption uh, on a large scale as an industry. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think, you know, that is something that I say a lot. And that is essentially what I'm doing, uh, you know, what I'm doing currently. I feel uh, that any kind of a, you know, tech solution, ultimately technology is there to make life more efficient and easy for people or for the end user. Any kind of tech, be it blockchain or, you know, just, uh, you know, Web2 in general. And um, a lot of people nowadays, especially, like they are on the internet, right? Not everybody understands how the internet works. But they are on the internet because simply because it's solving some sort of a problem for them. And I feel that Web3 needs to get there. We need to provide solutions which are technically sound, but the user doesn't necessarily need to know the nitty gritties. And, you know, right. as long as it, it's solving a problem for them and it is efficient and, uh, you know, it's, it's helping them either save money, time, 
or adding value in their life in some way i feel that these kind of solutions are are what is going to create the next bull run yeah i agree i think i think we'll know we've got there when people are using web3 and they don't even know it's web3 like they don't know whether exactly. it's web3, you know like that that whole thing i think once we get to that point that that's when we'll start to see the kind of adoption that we're all craving yeah absolutely i think that is the, that is the inflection point where we will see a lot of people uh, being a part of the web3 revolution and you know um, and as you said they're not even fully aware that okay this is the web3 revolution it's just that you know they're using these applications because it's solving a problem for them exactly right i agree so tell me a little about uh, your team and uh, you know where uh, you are with the team size have you guys raised any funds are you looking to raise any funds yeah great question um so the team is now up to uh, we've got someone else starting in the start of august i think at that point we'll be up to 19 which um wow. is is a decent enough size i suppose and we're totally like the technology we're all decentralized so the company is headquartered in switzerland just because it makes the legalities of having a token involved in your your network quite clear for us and it's easy to become hmm. compliant and to understand that but then everyone works from home um so uh that's uh challenging at times because we end up using zoom quite a lot and lots of these types of calls but we do try and make the time for certain members of the team to kind of meet up at conferences throughout the year because of course face-to-face communication there's nothing like it um yeah i, think, I agree yeah. Yeah, and definitely trying to kind of organize um, more of that team time uh, is important. But and, and we could not be spread more widely. Um, so like I think I think we're on like five continents. So it's almost like we're we're not deliberately trying to spread everyone out as much as possible. But I think when you're looking for quite specific skill sets and, and niche skills like we are, you tend to need to go far and wide to find them. So we've ended up with a very spread team, but but we can make it work. Uh, so it works well. Um, and in terms of uh, funding, so we, uh, before I joined, um, I joined in 2019, but in 2018, uh, the team did an ICO and they raised about okay. $20 million, I think, through um, private qualified investors, then a public uh, sale as well. Um, and then we're actually now at the point of just starting to look at raising a seed round as well. So we're just starting to to make some early inquiries into that area to to really allow Doc to start to um, to get product market fit and then scale. Um, so we're going through that 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 fun journey at the moment. Yeah. So you know you've been around uh, since the, the time when uh, ICO was uh, was not infamous. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's been quite a journey. Like wonderful. So you guys are. Um, uh, is, uh, would you would you be open to sharing how much you're raising? What kind of investors you're looking for? Maybe somebody is listening in and they can get in touch with you. And how to get in touch with you as well? Yeah, of course. I think, um, yeah, probably uh, the types of investors we're looking for are, are obviously, like I said, seed stage um, kind of investors looking really specifically at equity. Um, I'm really looking for um, investors that probably don't have another like identity um, or credentialing company in their portfolio because, of course, they, they, they typically would want to back one horse. But really, a, yeah. a, a type of fund that is looking to support like uh, decentralized technologies or identity products and, and and understands the space. I think that's what we'd be looking for. And we're kind of pretty much, uh, you know, we, we don't really mind where, where they would be based, of course. Um, so 
that's probably what we're looking for. Um, I probably wouldn't share how much we're looking for, um, hmm. uh, but that would be for them. And then in terms of getting in touch, um, yeah, probably uh, looking looking me up on LinkedIn is probably a good way to do that. And maybe you can put my profile in the show notes and uh, and people absolutely. Can yeah, yeah, we can totally do that. We'll link up uh, your profile in the podcast description and, you know, whoever wants to get in touch with Nick and their wonderful team at Talk, uh, please do so. Uh, tell me a little about, um, the. this is like more of a philosophical question, I think, but I would love to know what you think um, is the potential uh, to, you know, potential of impact of verifiable credentials and self-sovereign identity on other sectors, you know, apart from, say, employment and education. Yeah. How do you yeah. see these technologies transforming traditional systems and processes in, you know, different sectors and yeah. various other sectors other than perhaps education and employment? Yeah, definitely. So I'll give you two examples, uh, Tarisha. So one would be um, healthcare. So um, right. it could be, and this is... Uh, that this part is um, healthcare could definitely work um, much more quickly from a workforce perspective. So in many countries in the world, if you're a medical practitioner, a nurse, a doctor, when you work and move in a different region, um, so in the UK, we have this notion of the NHS and NHS trusts. If you then move into a different trust, trust which is a different region of the UK, um, you would then need to physically go to an office and to take all of your qualifications with you so they can verify that you're actually trained sufficiently uh, and you're therefore compliant to practice, um, and which takes obviously a lot of time. It can take many months. It requires an in-person meeting um, and it's generally quite difficult. But imagine, Tarusha, if that nurse had um, a verifiable credentials issued to her by the NHS um, or by whoever had trained her and she can have a request made by a trust for her to send mm -hmm. her applications from her digital wallet. And she could send those wow. without needing to go anywhere. And she could send this credential across and they would know that that's, that, that was issued to her uh, and that she is the, the owner of that and who issued it to her. And she could then show up for work and they would have confidence that she was sufficiently trained um, uh, to be a nurse and, and qualified and compliant you know, removing all of that headache of, you know, all the time it would take to, to manually verify. So that's one really cool use case. Another one might be things like financial services where um, accessing loans is, is pretty annoying for most of us if you need to take one out. So you need to fill out a bunch of forms um, yeah. and then somebody needs to underwrite and, and prove all of that stuff. So you need to find a way of how do I prove, you know, where I live, you know, how much I earn, mm. all of that type of stuff. But imagine you could take all the information that employers hold about us. And you could you could basically have the employer issue a verifiable credential to you that tells, that, that informs on the credential what your name is, where you live, how much you earn, how long you've been working there, what type of job you do, what type of contract you're on. And you could send that off to a loan company and they could basically on the back of that and maybe a few other questions um, approve you for a loan much more quickly without you needing to fill out all of these forms. Um, so those are a couple of great use cases where I think um, decentralized identity and verifiable credentials will become transformative uh, in kind of everyday life. Wow, you know, the, the picture that you're painting is um, about exactly what, you know, kind of touching upon what, I, what we were talking about, that, you know, technology that is actually making processes more efficient. 
and making life easier for the end user. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what it's all about. And I think we just can't lose sight of that. And I think if we fall in love with the technology too, too much, and we don't yeah. do enough to make sure it's making a meaningful difference over what exists today, uh, then, then it won't work. Um, but yeah, I think there's certainly a lot of excitement around uh, decentralized identity right now and, and uh, with, with really good reason. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, decentralized uh, identities, you know, the sovereign verifiable information, all of this is going to become so big, like you mentioned, because, you know, with the advent of AI, uh, it, it becomes even more pertinent that we kind of look at these things and relook. So, you know, and my question, the next question is actually to do with AI. What is your take on, uh, you know, this massively produced false information, right? False information, pictures, uh, by AI that, that are being generated and being put online. Like, how? what is your take on it in, in general? And how do you think, uh, you know, we can do our bit as uh, folks in tech in this space to perhaps curb that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's very worrying, isn't it? Because, you know, yeah. there, there, you know, many of us might be quite reasoned. And if we see a photo that looks a little bit outrageous, we might question it, but not everyone takes that approach. So it's definitely quite worrying um, that you can actually influence um, um, potentially like incite a, a population to act in a certain way and manipulate them with the, this type of information. What we've actually... Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It is very scary. You know, just, just the pictures that I see at times online. So, you know, because you and I are in this space and this might be coming from a place of privilege, we we we, we try to question it or we, you know, we, we look it up and we have ways to look it up and we know how to perhaps look it up, right? But, you know, not everybody is that tech savvy. Uh, you know, again, kind of underlying that not everybody understands how the internet or AI completely works, but they are there and they're consuming this information. So it's yeah. very scary to me that, you know, uh, some false information or a false picture being circulated online or on WhatsApp or Telegram or something can actually incite violence as well. Yeah. And I even think, I mean, I've got two, I, I would say they're not, they're not young kids anymore, but I've got an 18 year old and a 15 year old son and an 18 year old daughter. And even the way yeah. that they interact with technology, they, they're, the, the sites that they'll believe is and what they'll call news and you say well where did you hear about that and it's like oh I saw it on TikTok and it's like like their <laughs> way that they think yeah. like that for them is a legitimate news source now and and that's what yeah. makes thing as well like for me like that's I would question everything on that platform just because you know if, I guess your kind of age and stuff but um, yeah the, the definitely where people are finding news these days is very different to to maybe where uh, you or I might have looked for it in the past. And I think like what we've looked at, Tarusha, is a, I mean, we've potentially got the technology there as long as the processes are put in place to, to, to mitigate against some of this fake information. So what you could actually do is have kind of using credentialing technology and, and identity technology, you could actually have a, a, produ a producer of content that produces a legitimate, so let's say an independent journalist shoots a video of, okay. of something happening and so they can then um you know, basically put the a hash of the video let's say within a verifiable credential and, and then distribute that out and so let's say a news organization then picks up that story let's say it's the bbc they can then actually go and you know look at who actually um captured this video and if that's a no a name that they know and trust they can then say well actually i think this is um, valid and they can confirm that 
And when they um, they can then write the story about this video, uh, the, the BBC News, and then as we as consumers can actually request the authenticity of this news story potentially from the BBC, and they can send us a, like a, what we call a, a verifiable presentation, which is basically a, a digital uh, document or credential that tells us who captured the video and that the, the BBC are actually the ones reporting on it. And we can check those signatures and verify that information. So if we trust the BBC as an organization um, and we trust that they're they're kind of newsworthy and they're fairly independent in their views, we can then take a decision as to whether we trust that news story. And it can work like that. I know that sounds a little bit clunky as a process, but that technology mm. does exist to enable that. And then just be a case of trying to uh, trying to refine that to make it much more slick and usable, but the, but the, it it, it's, it is possible to verify who did what and when. So that can be quite a good way to try and mitigate against the the risks of, of AI and, and uh, its ability to put forward fake information. Yeah, I think you know as um, right now as you said that the technology kind of already exists. I think as we move forward and perhaps uh, you know more people become aware about this, the technology will stop being clunky as well. Uh, you know, as as we kind of grow, because this will become so pertinent that uh, it would have to be made uh, perhaps a bit easier the process. Yeah, I think so. I think so, and it's. Um... Yeah, it's definitely worrying because you kind of wonder where it stops. Like, will we get to a point in five or 10 years time, Tarusha, where we, we're skeptical about every single thing that we read? And that would yeah. be a shame, wouldn't it? Because at least right now, you kind of mostly trust stuff, but then you're kind of yeah. a little bit more conscious that this information might not be correct. And, and it might be the case that that becomes reversed in five or 10 years time where we assume everything is fake until it's proven yeah. otherwise. And that would be a real shame because that would be a really inefficient way to pass information around. Yeah, and it becomes such a sad way to live our lives, right? Like you're yeah. sort of, you feel like there is the, the burden is on you to sort of uh, find out everything about everything that you're reading. Exactly, exactly. So hopefully it won't come to that. But I do think that technologies do exist that would, would help us fight against stuff like that. Uh, and to, um, the other thing I would say as well is, I mean, AI does have a lot of benefits. So it's not like we're we're saying that we, we think AI's only got this real negative stuff. I mean, we're already right. as a business to, to help us uh, produce content and to make our lives more efficient, like behind the scenes uh, I'm kind of playing about trading like a personal AI to, to you know to help make your life much um, you know much more efficient, and you can be in multiple places at once. So I think there's a lot of really good things from AI that that are going to come out as well. But there are going to be some negative things, uh, like any new technology that that we need to be aware of. Absolutely, I think any new technology comes with its own challenges. When there was, you know, the the telegram had come along, there were, uh, you know, some bad folks trying to give it a bad reputation there. When you know there was um, IVR and phone calls, uh, you know, there were, you know, there was phishing and there were scams then as well. So I, I think there are always going to be some bad elements. But you know, whenever um, you know a conversation takes a turn like this, I like quoting. Andy Antonopoulos, he, you know, in one of the Internet of Money volumes, he talks about how there'll always be bad elements uh, to, you know, tinkering and trying to see how the how it can how the new technology can benefit them. But it's good to perhaps remember that uh, you know there are more good people uh, and good elements in this space than the bad ones. So yeah. you know the bad eggs would be there, but um, if the good guys sort of make enough noise about what we're doing, 
uh, it wouldn't all be just all bad. Yeah. Agreed. Another thing as well as technology itself is not good or bad, it's the people that are good or bad. So like you can't, the technology exists for us to harness in whatever way that we want. Um, and so of course exactly. you can't, a technology, it's, it's the people that use it that, that make it good or bad. Absolutely. It's like money, right? Like, you know, uh, it's, it's exactly like money that, you know, it's, it comes down to the people or the, who are using that money. What are you utilizing that money for? Are you using it to do more good or are you, do, you know, use, utilizing that money to perhaps create um, negativity? So I, I think it's just a medium and ultimately it is the person who, who is uh, utilizing the tech or who's creating uh, the tech. It actually comes down to just human beings. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. The human condition. Yeah. So um, now, you know, moving from uh, uh, this philosophical side of things, I would love to know a little bit more about uh, the Decentralized Identity Foundation. I believe you guys are a, a member there, right? Uh, I w- uh, could you tell me a little about uh, what the DIF does and how yeah. do you guys contribute? Yeah, so they, I mean, there, there's a few, actually, DIF is a very good one. And so they are a kind of uh, a non-profit organization, really focused okay. on building standards um, and bringing together all the uh, the people and companies and projects working in the identity space. So one of the key things about new technology is making it's people build to standards so that they're interoperable. So one example might be... Um, uh, like mobile phone chargers, as an example, like if everyone built a different type of mobile phone charger and none of them would be interoperable. So everyone that used Android would have like a different type of, you know, phone charger cable depending upon which brand that they used. And of course, standards, um, you know, using USB-C um, made it possible um, to, to have the same type of charger. And the same is true of identity technology. So what we're trying to, to get to a place where, whether it's a credential created on DOC, some other system and they're compatible mm-hmm. within all the mobile wallets and, and they're they're interoperable so it doesn't really matter what chain necessarily that you're on um you know they, uh, the identities can be created and then the credentials pass through these chains and pass through everyone's wallets um so that the whole system can can work together i know that's still a ways off and um, that's still a, a work in progress but a big part of what the decentralized identity foundation are doing are kind of laying down the frameworks that the companies mm. adhere to to make sure that interoperability um is in place so that that's a big part of what they do and um, they also have events and, and things to try and bring together kind of uh, uh you know the creative people and the founders from these spaces so that we can help each other so so that's a a, a couple of key things that they would do wow so if uh, a founder in this space uh, you know wants to perhaps uh, join uh, the DIF uh, what would be the steps that would be entailed here like yeah, I think we can just go to their website and literally sign up, um, which is, is okay. really what we did. So, um, yeah, and they have kind of different kind of tiers of membership. But, uh, yeah, I think you just go to, I think it's DIF.org or something like that, and you can just sign up there and then start contributing. Um, and there's also, like, another, a couple of other groups that we're involved in, the W3C, so the Web3 Consortium, which was the, again, non-profit group ultimately set up by Tim Berners-Lee. Um Right. They're involved in lots of different things, but identity and credentials um, is a key part. Um, and so there's, 
Um, the Linux Foundation also do some work in this space as well. So it's great to see lots of these nonprofit organizations all trying to ultimately make the web a better place and make sure it works better for all of us is, is I guess, what they're trying to do. So there's quite a few in the identity space, and I think that speaks to the the impact that identity is going to have in our future lives um, you know, over the next few years. Absolutely. So um, now, you know, I, I think that uh, you, you guys are contributing in a bigger to the ecosystem and, you know, uh, to your product. Uh, you know, you're building something very exciting. I feel it's such a relevant use case and it's going to become more relevant over time. What is like the next big milestone that you're very excited about for Doc? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's about starting to make the technology more like user centric and more privacy focused. So you'll probably have heard about um, uh, ZKP or zero, zero, zero knowledge proofs, which is a kind right. of range of different um, features, I guess, that we can incorporate into, into identity products. So for example, um, if you're wanting to, let's say, go online and prove you're old enough to go access a gambling site, so like a proof of, of, of age thing. So at the moment, you might have to go online and then reveal not only um, exactly when your birthday is, you'd have to reveal how old you are, and you might have to reveal a bunch of other stuff that was in with whatever credential that you were using. It was a driver's license. They would see a picture of you. They would see where your you know, address is and all that type of stuff. But you can start to harness these um, zero knowledge proof technologies to only reveal certain aspects that you want to reveal. So just enough that that site permits you access. So you might just want to say uh, what my name is. Maybe you have to reveal your address, but I don't want to give you my picture. And I might also not want to tell you when exactly my birthday is, but I might just want to say I'm over 18. And so you can use zero knowledge proof technology to, to effectively um, decide what you want to reveal, selectively dis disclose, and then also use uh, kind of range proofs is what we would call the ability to only reveal um, that you're you know over 18 as opposed to revealing that you're actually 22 and you were born in September the 22nd or something. So those are the technologies that excite me most about what we're building. And some of this stuff is actually working today in our production systems and some of it we're still developing. So those are the technologies that excite me the most. They're really giving users really granular control over credentials that they can use in lots of different ways without giving too much away. Wow, that's, that's super exciting uh, that you, know, you guys are trying to make this more palatable for the end user. And um, th this will all help in uh, more adoption, right? And I think that is essentially what all the stakeholders want uh, in Web3. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think then it's back to what we talked about before, Tarisha, of making that easy to use um, as well. as right. That's all quite complex technology. And it's basically just making sure that that, like they can literally just click on a screen and decide, I want to reveal this, not that. And it's just really, really simple to use. So that's the kind of journey that we're on with that stuff now. But yeah, I think it's very, very powerful. Absolutely, I agree. So, um Tell me, because, you know, we are running a little short on time. This has been such a wonderful conversation. I, I almost forgot that you know, we uh, just started no, in 45 well. minutes. So um, I want to, like, cut to the chase and ask you uh, meteor questions that the users, perhaps, or one of the entrepreneurs want to listen in on. You've been in this space for a while, right? And if there are entrepreneurs that are specifically building in the identity space or in Web3 in general, 
uh, what would be you know your suggestion to them if they are, especially because they are building right now in this bear market right and it can be a little disheartening um, yeah. if you're looking for capital it can be it, it's slow I, I think that you know good capital is available for a good good solid project even now uh, but it can be a slow process so, so what would be your advice to these uh, entrepreneurs who are looking to make a positive impact in this industry? Yeah. Yeah, what I would say is like get a, a, like this kind of cliched advice, but almost get the minimum viable product or thing that you want and actually have that ready and people potentially starting to play around with it as early as possible. So I think we've sometimes got into a way, particularly around ICOs and things, where companies would raise um, a lot of funding up front and not really build anything. Um, and I think right. the danger with that is like you actually don't know like – are you going to build something that people want? Um, and also, like if you t- like the funding thing that you mentioned there, funders for the most part are understandably um, a little more cautious with their capital these days. Yeah. And so they really want to take the risk out of development. They want something that exists already. And, and the only risk they have is can this team actually scale it? So I would say like as soon as you possibly can, even if it's like the most bare bones thing, get something shipped and get people using it. And that's the fastest way you'll find out whether is your idea viable and also like what can I do to make it better for the people that use it? Um, Because I think we can all try to be perfectionists and build this this fancy thing where you let anyone see it. And that's not the, the most efficient way to do it. So I would say build something really fast, really bare bones, a bit rough get people using it. And so that proves to you that there's actually a genuine need here. But also if you do want to go down the funding route and it's not the only way, but if you do want to go down that route, then you also have something that you can show to investors to say, look, my team are capable. We've built this thing and I'm really now we're just wanting to scale it. So uh, I would say kind of uh, move fast and break things is probably uh, a good piece of advice. I think those are wonderful suggestions. I think getting the MVP out is so important. And, uh, you know, I've been uh, building in deep tech and Web3 for a while too. And I, this is what I tell uh, all the startups that I try to give advice to, that let's just create something that is an MVP and ship it out there because there's no other way to validate your idea, right? You can get feedback and you can get, uh, you know, get questionnaires filled. But all of that is, comes to naught if nobody is ready to use your product. And uh, it's very easy, you know, you you touched upon how easy it is to fall in love with your own idea. And, you know, you become a perfectionist that you want even this feature and that feature in the MVP. And it doesn't have to be that way. That's right. Yeah, it shouldn't be that way. Like we've even found ourselves at times internally, like, uh, you know, kind of arguing internally about different features and ideas. And it's like we're all proven wrong about what actually customers want. Like maybe it's too complex to use or maybe they don't even want it at all. So, yeah, definitely get it into customers' hands as soon as you possibly can. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so, Nick, uh, now that, you know, we're kind of wrapping up, I would like to ask you one question that I ask everybody who comes on this podcast. Uh, you know, if there is somebody perhaps peering in from the Web2 side and looking into Web3, what would be your top three suggestions for this person to start living on blockchain? Wow, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's... Um, yeah, don't close your minds off to something that's decentralized. Like I said at the start, it's so alien. Like, like the notion that something doesn't need to be controlled by like an entity or a company that you can control it yourself. So I'd say like hmm. opening themselves up to, to that notion. I think that that's going to be huge. 
Uh, I think the second right. thing I would say is there's, there's I think, certain more traditional businesses have become um, turned off to blockchain because because of like a lot of the crypto scams that go on, which is a real right. shame. It's, it's like we yeah. said at the start, like just a minute ago, like technology is not good or bad, it's, it's how it's used. And so a lot of people turn themselves away from blockchain because because of you know crypto fraud and stuff like that, but fraud hits you know centralized banking probably as much, if not more so, than the crypto world. So um, yeah. I would say don't be turned off to to blockchain just because of uh, some of the kind of news reports um, that you would see. Um, and that, those are two. I'm probably struggling for a third off off the top of my head, but hopefully two is sufficient. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are very good suggestions. It's very easy. Um, you know, I think the best way uh, to get in the space is to have an open mind. If you, As long as you have an open mind and you have a mind where, you know, you can perhaps, you're ready to unlearn uh, notions that, that are already there in your head. That Those are the people who are good at unlearning, who, who will really uh, benefit out of Web3 and uh, take on Web3 in, in a bigger way, I feel, and in a faster way. Exactly. Yeah, it sounds like we've had similar kind of uh, experiences um, to Risha, but I'd, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Nick. This has been such a wonderful conversation. You know, in the beginning, I said it'll take 30, 45 minutes. I think we've spoken for nearly an hour and um, really wonderful chat. Uh, thank you so much for taking out the time. Any parting thoughts before we wrap this up? No, I just just keep doing the work that you're doing. I think we're all trying to promote um, this this whole space together. And I think yeah. um, we're working together and helping each other. Um, I think that's going to get us where we need to go. So, uh, yeah, just keep doing what you're doing. And, uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed the conversation. And I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, the the honor is all mine. I'm really grateful you could make the time. Thank you so much, Nick, once again.